You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Hey, turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Colossians. If you guys can make your way to Colossians. Um, hey, it's great to be back with you guys. Um, I know last week I was, I was out. I was actually doing a little staycation. Um, it's a vacation where you stay on the island because why would we go anywhere else? Amen? Okay. Uh, so um, it was great, though. Um, I, I, there's really no other place I'd rather be on a Sunday morning. I love being here at the church. I love worshiping Jesus with you guys. Um, but, you know, I'm here week in, week out. We're moving in the fall towards the fall. is really a season when we see uh, the most growth as a church. And so pastorally, manpower-wise, all of those things, leadership-wise, there's a lot more demands than, uh, that, are really, that really are there during the summer. And so we figured take a little break. So I was blessed by the other pastors. I want to say thank you for them giving me the time off and to you as well. Not that you gave me permission to go, but you're back. So thank you um, for coming. Uh, so we, but we love you guys. It's always a blessing to be in the Word um, with you. And um, wanted to give a little bit of discretion before we get into Colossians chapter, chapter uh, 3 and for our verses this morning. And it's this, because uh, in case you fall asleep or uh, just end up leaving, which I hope you don't do either of those things, um, falling asleep, maybe I could see that happening, but that's why we have the coffee lounge. So, anyways, um, all that to say, uh, you really need to be here next week, and that's not any sort of a gimmick, but that I'm just saying the truth because um, you're gonna. T- today's message isn't isn't like, um, yeah, yeah, I'm so glad I'm at church today. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not really that kind of a message. It's like, wow, yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, there's a lot of places I know you could, you could be today. I, I, I get that. Like, I, I understand that. In fact, um, you know, there's, there's a swell right now. There's been a great swell all week, and so uh, you could be there. And I, I, we could, you know, we could be, you know, there's a lot of other places we could be, but this is helpful what we have here in the text. It is a word fitly spoken, I believe. I be- it is the inspired word of God. And all that to say, please Come here, be here next week, because it's really a, a two-part message, and I would hate for you just to, to hear all that we have to say today, and then for you to walk away uh, missing the, the other half of, of this truth. And so I just wanted to encourage you guys um, with that. There we go. Um, anyways, so Colossians uh, chapter 3, um, beginning in verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, and let's all stand right now for the reading of the Word of God. Um, we stand because we're old school like that. We believe that the Bible is the perfect, inspired Word of God, and that we stand in honor and in reverence of what God has spoken, what God has said. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, Passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, 
slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Heavenly Father, we come to you today as your church gathering together to collectively lift high, to amplify Jesus, to make much of your name. And as our Bibles are opened and as we are here to have a word from you, we pray that we would set aside our own preferences, our own things that we bring to the table that maybe delude or confuse what you have spoken in the scriptures for we need to hear from you you today. And oh God, you have spoken. You have given us your word. And we're here because when we look at our life, we know there are things that are not right. Things that need to change in us. There are things we're still not satisfied with God in our walks with you, or maybe we don't really even have a relationship with you or know you all together. And so God, would you cause us by your Holy Spirit to really see you, Jesus, to have a focus on on you and in doing so that we would be changed from one glory to another, that we would would become like your son, Jesus. And that even as these truths might be hard, challenging, um, uncomfortable even uh, in these verses, God, you have a word for us, and, and, and it is going to do a work in us because your word doesn't return void. And so, Jesus, would you help me be faithful to what you've said in the scriptures? And would you give us ears to hear? And God, right now, there are our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are children who are being beheaded. There are fathers who are being killed execution style. That our sisters in Christ are being taken away from their husbands and their children, are being forced to marry, and they're being raped, and they're being killed, all because they love you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would pour out your spirit there, that you would do a work in comforting them, that they would continue to set their eyes on you. And God, we know that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And not just our brothers and sisters in Iraq, but all over the world. We lift them up to you this morning, your church. And God, it is a privilege to be where we're at to be studying your word. We don't want to take it for granted. Jesus, we ask that you would make this time real with each other, that in spite of all that is happening in our lives and the comforts we have, Jesus, we want to have a real encounter with you. We want to be changed. 
And, and God, everything that I would say this morning, if Holy Spirit, you are not in it, is, is, is just empty. So by your word, through your Holy Spirit, God, do a work in us this morning so that we would walk out of this place different than the way we walked in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. I know it's been a couple weeks. You guys uh, weren't here. Uh, We weren't in Colossians last week, so I wanted to kind of revisit really what we talked about in the beginning of of Colossians Colossians, uh, chapters 3 verses 1 through 4. And and really, what we endeavored through in those verses a couple weeks ago are some of the most impactful, profound truths about Christ Jesus we have in all of Scripture. It's incredible what is said in, in those verses. And what, what he says is, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. That's incredible. That truth right there at the beginning, that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, that not only has Jesus conquered death, not only has Jesus conquered sin, but that he is raised from the dead, and that in being raised from the dead, he is now seated back at the right hand of the Father, and where he should as the creator in his rightful place as creator and author of everything of the universe. And and that is where he is. And when we say seated at the right hand of the Father, what he is speaking of is to be seated at the right hand of God is is, is this picture of, of being seated in a place of honor, being seated in a place of, of exaltation, being seated in a place of authority. And that's where Jesus is. In fact, do you notice in our verse that we studied a couple weeks ago, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Not where Christ was, but that Jesus right now in this very moment as we're talking and as we're seeing God's word, as we're in church right now, that God is seated on his throne and he is ruling and reigning. And because Christ is seated on the throne, you know what it means for us? That we're not seated on the throne. That we are not in a place of honor. We are not in a place of glory. That you and I are not in a place where we would receive any praise. For all praise, all honor, all authority, all exaltation is due to the name of Jesus Christ. And it means we're not there. It's not about us at all. And that's just really one verse. And then Paul goes on to continue pleading with us, set your mind on things that are above and not on the things of the earth. And Paul does that because he knows that when we don't set our mind on things above, that whatever we are setting our mind to horizontally will fail us. It's going to let you down. Seek what is above you because anything that is beside you is going to fail you. And we know that life can be boiled down to your life, my life, in its simplest form can, can be boiled down to who or what we glorify. What do you make much of? What do you pursue? What is your passion? What has captivated you? Those very thing or people or whatever 
might be the very thing of which you glorify. And the sad thing is, Jesus won't seem as beautiful when your life is cluttered with the worship of, of earthly things. You have been called into greater worship and to greater things than just setting your minds on the things of this earth. Because when you set your mind on the things of this earth, you and I, when we do that, we set our mind on things that are temporal. But when we set our mind on things above, we are setting our mind on forever, on eternity, on Jesus. Because you were not made to glorify things that rust. Right? Things rust pretty quick here. Amen? Like, it doesn't take you long. And when you glorify something that, that, that is on this earth, the moment something happens to it, you know, and it always happens. Like you get a new car, you get a new toy, or get a new whatever. You know, you're like all paranoid about it. At least I am. And I try to keep it perfect and, and this perfect condition and all these things. But then before you know, there's like a ding or a dent in it. And it's like, I get angry, but it's because I, I behold that. But, but I've not been made to worship the things on this earth. We are not made, created by God to be horizontal worshipers, but vertically worshiping and lifting high the name of Jesus. That is why we are here. We are made to glorify Jesus, not things horizontally, but things vertically. And so now, verse 5, we read, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So there's a switch, really, that is taking place here in our, our verses uh, chapters in chapters one and two, I think we've done twelve or thirteen. I think twelve messages in chapter through chapters one and two. Uh, what we've really done is just sought to um, what Paul is, is actually doing here in these verses is ruthlessly fighting for the Colossians so that they would see Jesus in everything. He's saying, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. This is why you need to see Jesus. This is why you and I today, we need to see Jesus. And this is really the style of Paul's writing. Whenever you read a majority of the books that Paul has written, his style, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is to declare to us, first, this is what the gospel has done. This is the nature and the character of really who God is. And now because you have seen Jesus lifted high, because we have seen Christ on high, this is what it looks like now, practically, how the gospel wrecks you afresh from the inside out. This is how now, moving on from verse 5 on, this is how when Christ is in everything, Christ changes you. You and I are changed. We are transformed. This is what it now looks like practically when the gospel shines its light into the deep caverns of darkness within our hearts. And you and I all need this morning areas in our life Corners of our hearts where the gospel needs to saturate, needs to touch, needs to transform. And so uh, everything we talk about, listen, I'm not, I don't want to come across as some judgmental pastor and preacher, but as a brother in Christ who loves you and, and God has a plan and he's made it clear of what it's not to look like for those who are in Christ, for those who love Jesus. And he makes this point clear in verse 1. That's the premise of everything we're going to read from here on. If, then, you have been raised with Christ. He said, if you have been raised with Christ, if you have been transferred from darkness into light, if you have a relationship with Jesus, everything 
Paul lists here that we just read kind of makes sense, right? Like, I mean, I hope I don't have to convince you from verse 5 to 11 that those things make sense. And if I have to convince you otherwise, then maybe you haven't been raised with Christ. Because the things that Paul lists here in these verses shouldn't define our life. And if you don't agree with these truths that we're going to talk about, you are already blinded by your sin, thinking that you have mastered this, but when your sin in reality has mastered you. And again, I say this in, in love because it's like, hey, welcome back. Yeah, I'm back. Uh, it's not going to be fun. That's what, that's what today looks like. Because here's the deal. If we were perfect on this side of heaven, we would need verses 5 through 11. If you and I, as Christians, even as people who have been raised with Christ, have these things together, if we were able to make our life perfect on this side of heaven, there, there would be no need for verses 5 through 11. See, there is still a sinful residue in your life and in my life. Even though we have been raised with Christ, there are still things, and you know it, you see it. I, I've seen it in my life. And Christian, isn't it frustrating? You're like, you're looking at your life, I'm like, man, I'm, and you know, and honestly, I've, I've had conversations with, with people who are, who are older in the faith, um, many whom I love and respect. And you can ask them, hey, are you happy with where you're at? Are you happy with, with how close you've... Now, now, sure, there should be progress, but there's not perfection. And if we're going to be real with ourselves this morning, we need to acknowledge that the struggle is real. The struggle is existing at this very moment, even while we're in church. So he says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now before we get into this, we have to talk about the gospel again. Because God loves you, because God has love and affection for you, you are changed you are different. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings radical transformation in your life, and the gospel of Jesus brings radical transformation in our life. And so what the gospel does is we are now moving forward into verse 5, is we have to take everything we have learned from the beginning of chapter 1 all the way now up to ch chapter 3, verse 5, and the gospel, what it does is it enables us to kill our sin. That's the good news. That is really what the gospel does, is it enables us to kill what otherwise would be alive in our life. And so, um, you know, we did a, a baptism a couple weeks ago. And uh, for those of you guys, by the way, I know Toby, Pastor Toby, thank you last week, but I want to thank you again. For those of you who came out, uh, you, you don't even need me to tell you it's an awesome time. For, for those of you who didn't make it out, just saying, you missed out, Okay. Um, done with the plug, be at the next one, okay? But um, it was so special because, um, you know, what we did is we, we talked to these different people who were 
going to be baptized. And so some of the conversations I had with many of these people who were, uh, who were baptized that day, um, one thing, and I'm, I'm really paraphrasing, but some of the conversations that we had were so cool because um, their testimonies were, you know, I used to live for, for this. This used to define my life. This is what my life was all about. And I loved this and I moved towards this in my life. But then I met Jesus. I was changed by his grace. And now that I have met Jesus, I can't enjoy those things any longer. Like I had a taste for those things. I had a desire for those things. But those things, though I might stumble into them every once in a while or I'm still growing out of them, God has given me a new desire. He has changed me and I've been, they've been transformed and those things no longer defines them. See what Jesus has done empowers us the ability to mortify our sin. So, verse 1, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, see the connection here, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He says, Put to death. Like, if that's not gnarly, right? These are not minced words, are they? Like put, put to death? I mean, Paul is by no means censoring anything that he is saying here. He means exactly what he says. And what he's saying is put it to death. Paul doesn't tell us to, to, you know, go and when it's nighttime and when it's time for bed, go and tuck your sin to bed at night metaphorically, and, and, you know, just stroke its head and maybe sing it a song and then tuck it in nice and tightly and say, okay, I'm going to wake you up at another time when it's convenient, when I want you, but right now it'd be better for you to be asleep and then I will wake you up later when I really want you, when I really need you, when I feel like I don't get the other things I want in life so I can entitle myself to that thing and then I will wake you up. Paul says, no, you don't do that. It's a very dangerous thing when you and I toy and flirt with our sin as though thinking somehow we can control it. I actually read in the news a while back about a Florida panhandle fisherman and wildlife expert. Um, he lost a five-foot alligator after bringing it to his daughter's school show and tell for kindergarten. Like, I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, you know what I mean? But bringing a five-foot alligator to kindergarten is a little crazy. And, and the, the interesting thing about the article is, is reading on, fish and wildlife spokesman Stan Kirkland says that the alligators have amazing ability to jump, which allowed it to escape. But the crazy thing is that it was supposedly wrapped up and tame, and now it is running around. Or was running around. They eventually caught it and took care of it. This is how your sin is. All wrapped up in a nice little package. Thinking we have it under control. Thinking we have it tamed. But before you know it, it will become unleashed. And don't be surprised when it does. I mean, didn't Jesus say a little leaven, a little bit of sin, leaven speaking of sin, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump? That, that, 
to think we can manage it and control it and keep it safe and tuck its head into bed at night is just a foreign concept to the Bible. But it's so often what we do as God's people, as God's children even. We're not told to tame or control our sin. Sin will take you further, hold you longer, and will cost you more than you are willing to pay. Sin will take you further, hold you down longer, and will cost you more than you are willing to pay. Don't tame it. Don't flirt with it. Don't control it. Because of God's love, you are changed. We are told to kill it. Put to death is exactly what Paul says here. Like it should have no life. Your sin should have no life. It shouldn't be in a state of coma, hoping to be resuscitated later. It needs to be crucified with Christ on the cross because I have been crucified with Christ on the cross because I have been raised with Christ, verse one. I want you to see something that Paul is exploiting about sin though about what is earthly. Notice what he says. Go back to verse five. Uh, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What is earthly, what is sinful in you. Sin isn't just something you and I do. It's not an activity that is brewed or that just, just is kind of part of our life. Sin, apart from Christ, is who we are. Sin flows from a sinful heart. And, and we are our worst enemy. We are to blame for our own sin. We are the ones who are guilty. Now, listen, I know that maybe, and I know many, I know some of your stories, and, but I don't know many of you, and so some of you have had horrible and atrocious and wicked things done against you, and I'm not talking about those sins. Yes, maybe you have been a victim, and you've been victimized in one way or another by sin, and for that I am, I am truly sorry, but Aside that reality, we are also sinners. That we are the ones who have committed the crime. That it isn't something that has happened outside of us, but it is in you, Paul says. And you need to put the the thing that is to death, the, the thing that is in you, you need to kill it. It needs to be put to death, and it's inside of you. The Bible makes this clear. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. And we are told what is in us needs to die. The residual sin, Paul says, that is still in you needs to be put to death. We should violently deal with what offends God and what shrinks our soul. Now we're going to continue. Paul, in case we think, okay, if you stop there, we can use our imagination and try to define what's not a sin and what is a sin. 
right? You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, that's not really sin. Well, Paul actually lists sins for us so we can't escape thinking we're better than we are. Thank you for that, Paul. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Look at verse five. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and an evil desire. Okay, so, so we're going to pause really quick now. We'll, we'll, we'll keep moving forward, but sexual morality, impurity, passion, and evil desire, these are all sins that are sexual in, in nature. And if there is residual sin in these things, they, they need to be put to death. And so what does he mean by sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desires? It's shacking up. It's cheating on your spouse. It's pornography. It's one night stands. It's lustful fantasies. It's sexting. I mean, really, it's sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire is really just any sexual sin that exists outside of a heterosexual marriage, outside of a husband and wife being joined by God in marriage, anything outside of, of that, Paul says, hey, okay, if that is in you, if that is what is happening, then what, what are we to do? Put it to death. Now, that doesn't mean, okay, so if, if you're living with someone, it doesn't mean you put them to death, right? It means that you deal with the sin that is in you, and so you do certain things, and, and there are certain steps you can take to make that not a sin, like moving out. You know, I mean, or internet, and you can get really specific on all of these things. Internet, lustful thoughts or whatever. If it has to do with sexual immorality, uh, Paul told Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Get away from it. Run away from it and put it to death. So run away and then cap it in the head. That's what you do. Um, It's violent, I know, but that's what Paul is saying here. Um, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Evil desire. Now, um, some of you might, oh, I kind of I escaped from that. Well, he's not done yet, is he? And covetousness, which is idolatry. So in case we maybe think, which we would have deceived ourselves, because Jesus said, if, if a man looks at a woman and lusts for her in his heart, he commits adultery in his own heart. Redefine the law. Again, not something outside of you, but within you. What we have here is covetousness, which in other words is greed. You ever struggle with this? You know, I mean, I tend to think I don't really struggle with greed until one of my friends pulled up with like a brand new truck. And, and it wouldn't be a big deal, but my little ghetto Camry is like just falling apart more and more and more. And that truck, honestly, I, gr- I had greed for the truck. I'm like, it's lifted. You're living my dream, bro. Like, give me my truck. You know, it's, I feel entitled to it. I want it. And in one way or another, and it's so subtle, and he doesn't know this. And he probably found out last service. But anyways... Um, it's greed. It's wanting what we cannot have or wanting what God says, I have these things that are better for you, but instead we say, but I would rather have what I want. So greed is not just wanting what we cannot have, but having what we should not have when we should be holding God. So yeah, we're all there. He says it's idolatry. So greed is idolatry. So yeah, we don't, I don't worship idols. Well, if you, you're greedy, you're an idolater. And then he goes on to say this very sobering thing. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Verse six, 
on the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Guys, God's wrath is real. And there should be some element of fear in God's wrath that should drive us towards deeper love and affection for him. And, you know, God's, you know, God is, God being good is an attribute of God we talk about a lot. Let's just talk about how good God is. We talk about that a lot, which is, which is a good thing to do. But in order for God to be good, God also has to be a God of justice. And in order for God to be a God of justice, because there is injustice, it means God has to be a God of wrath. And against such things, God will not put up with eventually. And Paul warns you and I, and if you think, man, you're just coming on me today. Leave me alone. Step off my sin. Paul is trying to knock over your idols and say, stop worshiping those things. Don't you know that on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is real and it is coming. Verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Okay, so pause again. In case we thought sexual sin, not a huge deal. I'm not a greedy person. In other words, you're perfect now. Um, he gets you here because <laughs> put these, all these things away. Angry, anger. Ever been angry? There you go. Wrath, uh, malice, which is just, malice is just doing wicked, evil things. Slander, um, Ever slander, really slander there is, is just gossiping about someone, spreading, tr- spreading things around about someone or talking about them behind their back that are simply not true or that maybe are partially true, but you twist them, using them to bring the person down. Slander, I'm guilty of that for sure. And obscene talk from your mouth. He pinned us all here, didn't he? Like we are on our back, tapping out. No one can escape any of these things here. You ever been angry? You ever been lustful? Ever want what you can't have? Or been holding on to what you should let go to? Ever have a lustful thought? Since we all have, all of us in here, residual sin, that remains even though we've been raised with Christ. Our only attitude towards the earthly sinful things, Paul says here, is put it to death. Declare war against it. It doesn't belong in your life. If you have been raised with Christ, if you are professing to be a follower of Jesus, these things should be diminishing in your life. It should not be there. And there's so many Christians who struggle, who have addictions, who complain. They just can't shake these certain things. And they're so frustrated about where they are at in their life. But war has not been declared against sin in their life. Declare war. Fight your sin. You have God the Holy Spirit who can help you do that. And there is no putting to death of these things often in your life and in my life. And listen, I do it. I do it just so you know this message is probably for me more than for anyone else. 
The verses in Colossians want our attitudes towards the flesh not to be one of, oh, maybe I'll awaken you every once in a while. Put it to death. Kill it. Murder it. It should not be alive. It should be dead. Paul says in Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to deeds... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But notice it's by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit of God. So don't hear me right now. We're not talking about you trying to muster, trying to foster and brew and muster up this will inside of you. I've got to put it to death. But Paul says you should declare war against it. Christian, declare war. War against your sin. I love what theologian John Owen said on this subject. He said, and I quote, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. And seize not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Now again, notice this. We aren't talking about putting to death the things that are outside of us as though somehow culture is to blame for our sin, as though somehow worldliness and earthliness is to blame for the things that, some of the issues I've got in my life. Listen, It is not an issue of the sinful culture necessarily primarily bleeding into you. But Paul says it's it's in you. It's an issue you have to deal with in you. It's not TV. It's not the movies. It's not school. It's not work. It's not your family. It's not your coworkers. It's not friends. It's not even Satan himself. And the list can go on as though somehow that is the main problem. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You are your worst enemy. I am my worst enemy because we are sinners. Now, again, I'm not denying the fact that that certain shows and TVs and activities and friends and other things can, and Satan himself can can add to that. Of course it happens. But it's within us. Because because Paul says, put it to death, we are not in a time of peace. We cannot make a truce with our flesh. Hey, don't put your weapons down. And listen, I know it's hard. I know it is exhausting. I know you don't feel like you can go on another day longer. You don't feel like when the temptation will let up, it's just easier to give in and give up and to put your weapons down and then to keep firing and then to try to keep killing then to keep crucifying those things. I know this because I've given in. I've put my weapons down. I've emptied out my ammunition and I have awoken in my life what I should be dead to.
So if Paul says, put these things to death, but these things are still alive in our life, how do we reconcile these things? How, how does this then work itself out in our life? Well, I want you to look down because we've all stumbled, right? Look down at verse nine. We've all had our issues. Verse nine says this. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put the old self, put off the old self with its practices. You will still sin and I will still sin because we are not yet glorified, okay? But the difference is, how, how do we reconcile these things? For end of verse nine, what does it say? Practices, circle that, underline that, put that in your notes. Practices, go back to verse seven. In these things you too once walked, circle walked, when you were living in them, circle that. So here you have these verbs Paul use, uses of what it means to be in these things, and he uses words like walked, living, and practicing. So he's not saying you're not going to be, he's not saying you're going to be perfect, he's not saying you're not, you might not stumble into some of these things, but they should not be uh, practiced in your life. They should not be what you are living for and living towards in your life. And you should not be walking in them. So even though we lay our weapons down at times and we give in to temptation and we enjoy what is earthly. We do not set our mind on things above, but we set our minds on the things of the earth. If we have been raised with Christ, we should not be practicing, should not be walking in, should not be living in them any longer. Why? Why? We can't enjoy sin the same way we once did, once you and I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That's why. You can't enjoy sin and all of its promises that it has for you the same way because you have seen Jesus. You have tasted Jesus and your palate towards those things have been changed. What you thought once tasted good doesn't taste so good anymore. I mean, my wife and I, we, uh, we watch this show called Master Chef. I don't know if you watch it. You can judge me. I don't care. It's an awesome show. And I'm not saying you should watch it. I'm just saying it's an awesome show. But anyway, so, um, and I love watching the food. And, and it's interesting because my wife and I are always trying to guess which chef is the best and who's going to win. And one thing, after we're like in our third season into it, we've realized that the, the, she- the people who do the best and who defeat all of the other contestants are the ones who actually have the greatest palate. Because they know what tastes good. They know even different elements when you put them together, what tastes good and, and how it can work and how you can have this beautiful dish. And when we become a Christian, when we are born again, when we are changed and we are transformed as what verse 10 says, I want you to see this, verse 10. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed and the knowledge after the image of its creator. What is he saying here? You've been renewed. You have been changed. You've been transformed by the gospel. Your life has been turned upside down and what you once loved and pursued after doesn't taste as good anymore because your palate's been changed. Your taste for sin is, you realize, man, there's some things in there that aren't as good and when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, those, oh, I I don't, 
yeah, I, I, I can't go there. It's, it's, and, and if you do, it's not as easy because you have the Holy Spirit convicting you the entire way, right? The gospel is so radical, it changes what we desire. It changes what we pursue because our desires flow from our heart and because we've been born again, which means to be born from above, we've been given a new heart. Notice he says in verse 10, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed. Paul says, Colossians, Christians, you should press further into Jesus. Why? Because you desire Jesus. He is who you desire. He is who you live for. Maybe not, definitely not perfectly, definitely not every single day at the moment, all the time but you're not defined by your sin any longer. What does verse 10 tell us? That there is always movement towards Jesus and Christianity. That we should be always pressing in, pressing further, moving towards Jesus. The Christian life is not an idle life. There's no room for Staying in neutral and staying still and not, not moving forward. Because we are being renewed. Notice the, the verb tense there, being. We are presently being renewed. And I want just to just say as a quick side note, what is the way you and I are being presently renewed? How are we being presently transformed? Notice this, verse 10. Being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We are renewed when we open up the scriptures and study what the Bible has to say about the nature and the character of God, that is how we're renewed. In verse 11, Paul says this in closing here. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now you might not realize it off the bat, but this is a direct jab at everyone in the church in Colossae. You ever feel offended when you come into church? Yeah, I do too. I know, trust me. Um, the gospel is offensive. That's why. Um, Paul is offending every single person in this church because what verse 11 is doing is humbling everyone in the church because what was happening is there are some people in the church, well, hey, I'm a Jew, so I mean, I'm, I'm kind of descendants of Abraham, kind of got some swag when I walk into church and other people are like, I'm not a Jew, I don't have a descendant of Abraham, I'm just a Gentile. And those Jews are like, yeah, well, look at you. And then, then there's these people who are getting saved, the Scythians, the, are you kidding the Scythians are getting saved? Don't you know they're savage people? They're, no, yeah, they're getting saved. And, and then there's slaves and then there's free. And then when the Bible speaks of slaves, it's not necessarily endorsing slavery, but, but when it says slave, really what it is speaking there of that these people are unable to provide for themselves and so they need a master who will provide headship over them. And then free is speaking that those who are wealthy enough who don't need to rely on anyone else. So you have loaded people, you have poor people, you have uh, popular people, you have religious people, and then you have people with no background at all. They're kind of like a spiritual mutt. And, and all these people are walking in with all these different experiences is some with more swag than others. And Paul's like, no, like shut 
up. Stop your little religious pompousness at the cross. All of you are equal. All of you are the same. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your background is. And, and today, maybe we're not talking about uh, Jew or Greek, but often the conversation in churches is, oh, so were you raised in a Christian home? Oh, you weren't. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I'm, there's people who talk. It's like, are you, are you kidding me? It doesn't matter about those things. It doesn't matter um, what traditions you keep up in your life or what things you have removed. And there's so many people like, well, I removed this thing in my life, so I'm more holy than you. Really? Maybe you are. Maybe you are. Just You, you go right ahead and, and do your thing. But all this to say, these people that Paul is listing here are walking into church as though somehow their moral performance and their identity and standing before God is based on what they do and who they are. Is your standing before God on your performance or on Jesus' performance? Does your moral performance of don'ts earn you justification before God? Or does the things that you decide not to do make God happy with you, therefore God says, okay, I guess you can get into heaven? As though somehow the gospel needs my help for holiness? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, Jesus is pretty cool and the gospel is good news, but God needs my help in my own holiness. And you know what saddens me is so many Christians, so many Christians will like, they will come across verses like this and say, see what you need to do? Let's talk about this. I like talking about my checklist. I like talking about these things. Enough of the grace stuff. Let's stop talking about grace and let's start talking about what is in my hands, what do I get to do? And this is why Paul says, here there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. The Jesus and is everything and he covers everything and it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what sins you have done or what sins have been committed against you. It doesn't matter on your religious performance. It doesn't matter where you, whether you watch Master Chef, God forbid, or something else that you are covered by the grace of God because Christ is in all and through all. And that is the gospel. That we don't have to bake on our own moral, man, I gotta better do this. I better cut this thing out. I gotta do it. Now, maybe there are some of those things and we'll get there in a minute. But why are we moving in the direction that we are? If you perfectly keep the law apart from Jesus, you are going to be crushed under the law. And this is a statement I'm trying to make. There is no putting off of sin. There is no killing sin apart from the gospel. Because what happens if you do these things apart from the gospel? It's, I used to smoke weed. Don't smoke weed anymore. Why? Because I'm awesome. Self-righteousness, still sin. I'm glad you're not doing that anymore. I used to do this, and I used to do this, and I used to do this. What do you do now? I don't do anything, and I'm all, yeah, you're, it's, it's self-righteousness. I mean, you're just trading one idol for another. And it's also under, it actually goes back to what Paul said in verse, where is it? Uh, five, covetousness. You're coveting your self-righteousness. So if there is no putting off of sin apart from the gospel, 
how, does this, how, how do we do this then? How do we kill sin? Because we all should be asking this question at this point in the message. How do we kill sin? I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15.10 in closing. Uh, you're going to turn to left to 1 Corinthians 15.10. And, uh, and I want you to see how, the, how these truths are tied together. What our motivation should be in doing this. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians as he did Colossians. 1 Corinthians 15.10. I want you to see what we do or what is involved when we do works for God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. That's a huge truth right there. His grace, Christian, hear me out. Every single one of you who believe in Jesus, his grace towards you was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Sounds like he's bragging there for a second, right? Bragger, bragger, up pride, pride. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Grace and effort are inseparable truths. Grace, because of the grace of God and the love for God, the love of God compels us to do things for God. So grace and effort are inseparable truths. So my effort and your effort, see this, your effort in killing sin is by the grace of God, God working through that effort and killing the sin that is in you. That your effort is his effort. That's why Paul says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Is the grace of God that drove me to do all that I did. All of our effort is grace-driven. It is grace-driven. That's why we do what we do. That's why every Sunday we choose to do what we do. That's why when we, when we don't cheat on our taxes, that's why when we don't do the things that the rest of the world is doing, it's not because, man, I have to do it. It's I get to do it. Because the grace of God and the love of God has compelled me to put to death the things of the flesh. This means this morning, whatever sin you are going through that has entangled and ensnared you, you can have victory over by the blood of Jesus. Whatever sin. You don't have to say yes to sin any longer. And so maybe there are some things that are alive inside of you right now. Yes, you have been raised with Christ, but by the grace of God and the power of his word, you realize there are some things inside of you. Gosh, these things put him to death. Wage war right now. I believe the Holy Spirit has brought into light some things that are in your life. He most certainly has in my life through this text that need to be put to death. Kill them, crucify them, murder them. Mortify the flesh and do it daily, but let grace be the drive of which you do all that you do for Jesus.
And as you kill your sin, you will find Christ is all and that Christ is in all. Gracious, heavenly, wonderful Savior, thank you for these painfully hard truths. Thank you that as difficult as these are, that they are necessary for us to walk into holiness. And, and maybe in this moment, Holy, the Holy Spirit has awoken some things in your life. And maybe God has shown you some areas where your effort has been driven by morality, your effort has been driven by approval, your effort has been driven by um, legalism, your effort has been driven by your own intuition and will, and you've realized you've just traded one idol for another, and we are all still dealing with sin. If that is you this morning, if you've been raised with Christ this morning, In fact, you, you, know, you didn't have a relationship with Jesus and you came to church this morning and now you have a relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit has shown Christ to you and you found Christ to be a God who isn't just saying, don't do this, but don't do this because I love you, because I have more to offer you than anything of this world. Set your mind on Jesus and not on things of this earth. God has made you alive. God will set you free. God will liberate you from the things that have entangled you. Respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ in faith. Believe on him. Trust all that he has done for you. Trust that he has put to death the sin that you are currently alive to. And watch those things diminish as you set your gaze upon Jesus. And if you are a Christian this morning and um, you've heard this message, you realize that the Holy Spirit has shown you some sin that doesn't belong. We need to take this time right now. We're not, I'm not, I don't want you to put it off till later. Take this time right now and wage war. I'm just going to give you guys a few moments right now just for you to have a conversation with God to confess your sin to him and let's put it to death today. And let that practically work itself out in your life, whatever that looks like. Do that now. Jesus, thank you that you are a gracious God and that you're a good God and that your love covers a multitude of sin and that there is good news in all this and that though the battle is on and we know the war is won, so thank you. Empower your church to be a bride that is fit for you, spotless, washed in the blood of Jesus, given the righteousness of Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen and amen, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. 
Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.